so sure I believe in beginnings and endings. Except for the beginning of this podcast, which is Ribbon of Memes, episode 88, probably, I think. Um, this is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other linguists as masterpieces. I am Nick, I am the... Um, well, no, nothing bozo of this uh, podcast. I'm joined as ever by Roger. I guess that makes me the person who understands everything all of a sudden and has no trouble <laughs> comprehending it. The one with the science exclamation mark skill. <laughs> and we are joined once more, um, briefly, because I think you may have well, to disappear indeed. at some point through this podcast. Uh, my whole uh, planet needs me. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, by Shim, um, our fellow Watson Hall um, gamer, and uh, also watcher of the film we're about to discuss. Astonishingly, which, yes. Astonishingly. That almost never happens. Who described themselves in the very last podcast as uh, a man who never watches films. You've watched this film, so. Uh-huh. Uh, the film in question is Denis Villeneuve's 2018 Arrival. 2016. 26, I thought, yeah. That was because your linear perception of time has been altered by watching the film. Yeah. Don't start. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly something was altered by watching this film. <laughs> this, okay, so this is a film about first contact with aliens. Yeah, I, I definitely got a feeling here of um, the, this is Close Encounters, but for grown-ups. We're going to be serious about it. Oh, bloody hell, are we serious? Well, that's not fair, actually. I mean, there is some... So we have Amy Adams uh, as a uh, a professor of of linguistics, um, presumably. I don't think it's ever actually said what she is. Um, some kind but, of linguist. Uh, she's a linguist who's one of those linguists who knows everything about linguology that ever happened. That's a word. <laughs> I know. I know linguology. Um and we are joined uh, by Ribbon of Memes' uh, favourite, I think it's fair to say, Jeremy Renner. Um, who mm-hmm. We've certainly we, seen um, him before, been 28 weeks later in The Hurt Locker. Where, and we, and we liked looked, him in both of those. I think looks pretty much the same here. I mean, that's the way he looks in the film. <laughs> yes, yeah. He's a lighter character here. He's the... the, um, the I, He's not quite the scully to Amy Adams' Mulder, but it's, it's he plays he's a, a similar... He's a sexy sidekick. <laughs> he is basically. He contributes isn't he? basically nothing to the plot, but he, um, he provides emotional support, which <laughs> is nice to see uh, a male character having to do that for yeah. a female character, um, for sure. Uh, how long ago did you watch Arrival, Shim? Um, soon after it came out. Okay, so some years ago, I had actually seen Arrival before. And we've been trying to avoid films that we saw before, but I only remembered that I'd seen it before once I started watching it, which wasn't necessarily the best. Um, or I remembered it once I was looking into it. Uh, not necessarily the best. 
I think it's fair to say this film got near universal acclaim. I found mm. very few negative. It reviews. was on a lot of film of the year lists. It's ninety four percent positive on Rotten Tomatoes. It won the Hugo Award for dramatic presentation long form. Now, sometimes when a film gets that level of acclaim, uh, we find we go into it a bit more expecting a bit more. Mm. This was almost the reverse for me because I I didn't know how venerated it was. I just watched it uh, and then looked for what other people thought and was a bit surprised what they thought compared to what I thought about <laughs> it, <laughs> if I'm honest. Interesting. Um, what did, so, the, I mean, the plot of the film is that we have 12 sites around the world um, are suddenly visited by these giant giant kind of stony, monolithic, sound familiar? Monolithic spaceships. in the air in exactly the way that rocks don't, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and it causes the kind of day the Earth stood still panic that these things generally do in films, and in fairness, probably would in life. But this is a very serious film. We have serious military... Uh, mind we have Forrest Whitaker crops up. I don't think we've had him in a ribbon of we me. Have. We have. Oh, we um... have. He, he's Airman Garlic in Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Well, here he's that, a, that, a much that, more that serious. This does make him quite recognisable. I, uh, I, I, I mean, it wasn't as bad in those days. But he's, he's a very flexible actor. It's interesting because the eye thing makes him, yeah, I know who this guy is. You but think he, he's he, interesting. He, he's very flexible in the role he plays. He's very versatile. I mean, here he's his role is to be the military hard-ass guy. Uh, yeah, but, but he's the military hard-ass who's right at the bottom of the power structure that's interfering with this stuff. So he, he is the guy who's being reasonable. Okay, you know, this is fine, but give me something I can take back to the guys who who are one eye-click away from pressing the button. Yes, he's not the baddie. That's the... I, I mean, everyone... The, the script is uh, gives everyone little shades of grey because the other guy who's the, the real hard-ass is the CIA guy, uh, presumably CIA, I can't remember, or is he NSA? Not sure, but he's the, the kind of the uh, man in black type character. Uh, and again, they're all reasonable. They're all like, well, we understand where you're coming from, but we've got to need this spaceship. Sorry. Um, and it is a portentous, ponderous film, I would say. Yeah, it, I mean, so it opens again. So we, uh, the, sorry, the, I'm going to. Hit... Rule of thumb: if you want to make a faithful adaptation of a literary work into a film, is you're probably better off starting with a short story. Yes, uh, yeah, because you know the the amount of Which stuff you can did. put into a film when you have to show everything is limited. Uh, mm. This is based on, on a novella by Ted Chiang, and this this is where I have have to admit a bias because he's one of those authors. Much like this film, in fact, one of those authors whom everybody says, this is great, you must read this guy, okay. and I read his stuff and it leaves me cold. Did you read the story at all? I've not read the specific one, no, but, I but I, I do have a, a point at which he clearly misunderstands how light waves work. Yeah, so some of this that, a lot of the stuff that's here is not in the story. I mean, the, the whole international tension thing is not a part of the story. Okay. Um, so we have, uh, what happens here is that we have the, uh, the various heads of the world. Initially, they all start collaborating at these 12 sites that are seemingly randomly picked throughout the planet. Um, 
but quite soon, uh, particularly the Chinese, um, become quite antagonistic towards the the alien and, and start to sort of lead a, an assault against them. And so it becomes a race against time to try and understand what the aliens are here for and why they are here uh, before their attacks. Well, one of the bits I rather liked was that it, it suggested that the reason for this is the the approach of the Chinese team in trying to understand these aliens and their incomprehensible language was Mahjong. And because yep. they were framing it in terms of a competitive game, what they got out of it was a competitive concept. I'm not sure how much sense it makes, but it's, an, it's a nice idea. Uh, I, it's, it's a sort of throwaway line. I'm not sure it... If you dwell on it, I'm not sure it makes a lot more sense than <laughs> than any else, the rest of the film. I mean, I think there's a couple of bits. Well, I, I will withhold temporarily talking about language, but okay. Um, <laughs> I can see that in if someone were approaching translation with that framework as the their tool of translation. Okay, you know the the human team. The the way they passed the messages they were getting could well result in them interpreting something mm. in that sort of way. So I can see it from that. Yeah, the film part is yeah. uh, the the classic when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and when you're communicating via mahjong, then everything yeah looks like uh, in terms a of pile defeat of dragons. And... Mm. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, all right, well. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of those films that wants desperately for you to believe that it knows what it's talking about. So it will be quite sort of scientific in its approach, or at least appear to be. Um, I mean, there is a lot. This is where you are really helpful here as well, Shim, because you know much more about languages than I do, certainly, uh, probably than Roger. And now this is actually, uh, it's a film much more about language than anything else. Hmm. Probably. I mean, I, I went into this feeling favourable towards it because you know, I, I knew it was a film about making contact, understanding language, and so on, rather than hmm. let's blow stuff up. And I, I mean, yes. I feel there's it's a lot no of It's no Independence Day. Yeah, I mean, we have the, uh, the, the two leads, uh, Amy Adams, the, the, the linguo, linguo, linguosaur. Um, and, uh, Jeremy Renner, the, the kind of, Physicist science guy. Um, and I, I think as you alluded to, Roger, it, it, uh, it irritated me relatively early because Amy Adams, Amy Adams is clearly the, everything I say and that comes out of my mouth and every theory I come up with is going to be correct for mm. this film. And everyone else's job is to doubt me for a bit until I'm proven correct. Mm. Um, and yeah. that's, I, I find that a bit irritating. I found it irritating in we really like to attack the block, but we have a character who sort of spouts a theory which is correct and you know it's correct and you know we're supposed to think it's correct. But that was a one-off line in the film and here we have the whole film doing it. I don't feel... Okay, so I, I should, probably should, put, should have put in a spoiler warning, so here is a spoiler warning now. Um... In the introduction to the film, so not much of a spoiler, um, we, we learn that she has had a daughter who has died. Or has she? But yes, all right, yes. Um, we, and then late, later on it, it becomes clear that, well, actually that, that's a future thing that she was getting flash forwards of. But, I mean, 
All right, so you're subverting a, a an emotional tragedy makes the woman into a scientist, but that is still the core of your plot. <laughs> they did it in Gravity, yeah, uh, and, and it's uh, we, uh, well, well, I think Roger they did it in Deep Blue it. Sea. That doesn't <laughs> make it good. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the fact that it opened with this tragedy. And also, I suppose, as the film pans out, yes, it turns out this is a future premonition of something that's going to happen. But then it's such a filmic trick for it to open with it. I mm. mean, who is that? Because she hasn't had those premonitions chronologically at the start of the film. She doesn't have them until she starts learning the language of the octopus. Octonauts? No, that's a kids' TV show, what they call it. Um, <laughs> heptapods. Heptapods, thank you. Um, oh, if it was the Octonauts. Lovely, lovely visual great. effects, I should say, by the way. Oh, yes, yeah, all very dark, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yes, uh, but then it's a bit like The Sixth Sense, really. Uh, spoilers for The Sixth Sense, he's dead. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't give you much. <laughs> um, but... It's like it's the whole thing of the sixth sense is this filmic trick that you only are presented what the film shows you, and and here the the kind of flashback that isn't a flashback. It doesn't make sense to me that the film opens with that because the rest of the film is chronological, mm. uh, and the messes with time are explained. Mm. Except that anyway, maybe that's a minor niggle, but um, it, I, it retrospectively pissed me off. It does seem to me that. If you if you were suddenly to discover that your your entire future is fixed, there would be a certain amount of existential crisis. Mm. Well, that is that is a curse, isn't it? You know, what, what, what is the point Greek of my trying curse. to do anything yeah, at this point? Good. It's whatever I do is it's it was going to happen anyway. Why should I make any effort? Well, so what happens here? It relies heavily on the. Is it the Sapir Wharf hypothesis? In theory, yeah. Really but, quite overdriven, even, even yeah, by the standards I, of the people who are enthusiastic about learning it. Learning languages doesn't actually give you the ability to perceive time in a different way. <laughs> well, so that's the idea. The idea that basically, and I, I suspect there is, but as a complete layman, I, I suspect there is some truth to it, that the way you think is driven by language you speak. It can uh, cert- There is certainly an influence. That w- there, is, yes. there is huge argument over how much influence... But here it's to the point, uh, and actually the one negative review I found of Arrival was by a professor of linguistics. It was like, this is just, this is taking Sapir Wolf hypothesis to levels undreamt of. But the idea then, yes, is that these creatures perceive time non, uh, chronologically. And if you learn their language, so will you. It's definitely how things work. Like, <laughs> Uh, who who needs causality anyway? Absolutely. Well, I, but I, I so I, I try in this kind of thing. I try and take it at its um, okay. This is the thing. This is the science fiction. I mean, aside from the aliens, and that, this is the science fiction concept that is the key to the film. Uh, and so you have to kind of yeah, you have to. Roll I think with to it. enjoy it, you have to roll with it. But then it doesn't. As I've just alluded to, it, that's why things like her having the flashback right at the start of the film doesn't make sense in that context. Uh, and exactly as you say, Roger, I mean, this is an ancient Greek curse that was inflicted upon um, uh, one of the Greek gods. uh, Yeah, once you know your own future, that's not a good place to be for a human mind. Um, As I understand it, in in the novella, this this is actually treated a bit, but in in the film it's just ignored. 
Well, she sort of embraces it and enjoys it. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, marry this man that I've just met, and I already know the relationship's doomed to failure. We're gonna have a daughter who's gonna die. But, but she kind of, of do it for some reason. Anyway. Because I, I have to, but that, there's no there's never, no wrestling with it. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's some chemistry, but as I recall, but it it was never particularly convincing as the way a human would react to something. Mm. Yes, it, she just kind of... I could understand you wrestling with it and ultimately coming to the conclusion, well, I have to do it because it's already happened. But there's none that she doesn't wrestle with it particularly. She's just like, oh, well... Or, or even, you know, if there was strong chemistry, I know how this is going to go, but... Make the most that... of every moment that you do have, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what the heart wants. Sorry, what's the time travel one um, where you travel through, you travel through time in your own life? By... Quantum Leap. No, by, by going in a cupboard. About time. No, that's a terrible film. Well, Bill Nye, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause th- I mean, th- that one does sort of address that, yeah, that aspect yes. of travelling within your own timeline in that, you know, it thinks about how would you approach that that measure of foreknowledge and... Use it to get laid, of course. Exactly, that is my significant yes. problem with about time. Uh, but, but, okay, but also yeah. later on... <laughs> You know, there's the things about, you know, how many times can you overwrite your own experiences and your own interactions with people? And, and it, it thinks about it a bit. I'm not going to credit about time with any no. positive things at all. But I agree <laughs> with you. That's a fa- it, it does wrestle with the concept more. That, uh, I think my biggest problem with... I mean, the, the spoiler is that, I mean, uh, the other, I mean, we've already spoiled the film mm. to death, but the international tension here uh, is diffused by Amy Adams' character. I watched this last night and I've forgotten all the characters in it. Um, <laughs> Louise. Um, because she jumps forward uh, mentally to a, a UN reception where she meets General Chang, who's the Chinese head of the military, I think, um, but not the... Uh, they def- they definitely don't call him a warlord, but he's, he's definitely the guy who is actually pulling the strings for the Chinese government. Well, I was surprised that, yeah, he's, he's he has superiors, as he mentions. But anyway, um, and she there basically gets his phone number and the last words of his wife, his dying words of his wife, and then she zips back to her own time where she immediately uses that knowledge... Uh, uh, call him up and, and say, say, by the way, here's, here's a random piece of trivia about your life, which exactly. I'm going to say, therefore, call off the attack. Well, she doesn't even say that. All she does is just say, uh, or whatever the last words were. <laughs> and he goes, oh my goodness, this must mean. Uh, rather than some sophisticated espionage technique that has happened, they must have. I don't know what he thinks to then call off the attack. Because mm-hmm. the the phone call just consists of him phoning her, her phoning him, saying, oh, me leg, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You never find out what the last words were. And then she puts the phone, and then she says, right, I'm done, puts the phone down. I, I, I don't, she does talk in Mandarin, and I guess it's not subtitled, or, but. No, no there, there is a translation, um, on the Wikipedia page, which is which is something like uh, "In war, there are no heroes, only widows," or something of that nature. 
but there's no like see that's definitely I... what your last words would be to your husband no, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, except you're about to be a widow sorry about that um, but um, she doesn't then say right now you've got to believe me I am this person you're going to go she just then puts the phone down and on the strength of that he's like whoa well, I guess I better stop this attack then. Yeah. And that doesn't make any sense to me at all. In fact, a lot of the... It just... It's too... And then, how did the UN... And then it gets into the whole grandfather paradox stuff of... Then why did the UN reception happen? How did she have the knowledge of it if she hadn't already used the knowledge to just... So, uh, I've just looked at the clock. Um, So, I've got a few minutes. And um, I would like to rant briefly. Unload on this. What gets the four? So the the I went to watch this film on the Mm. basis that oh hey someone has made a film about linguistics yes um and I was lied to (laughs) this is not a film about linguistics it's 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 mostly about a philosophical concept. Somewhere vaguely related to do with fatalism and time, not really sure. Right. Uh, which which touches on the ext- like a super extreme steroided version of Sapir Wharf um, right. at some points. Um, but the, the 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 lack of linguistics in it and the lack of language in it really did 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 great. Um, so you were missold it. I, I was missold, and and I mean you get that. From the start of the actual mission bit, because aliens land in your country, amongst other countries, and what do you do? You find one linguist (laughs) and send them there. It's not like you have probably literally hundreds of thousands of linguists you could recruit by diktat and get just to concentrate exclusively on decoding this language. Definitely not. You definitely don't have that capability as one of the world powers. Um, and neither does anyone else. So you're just going to put one person in a spacecraft. Oh, but the best one. <laughs> that's I, that's it, how it, it works. It does slightly explain it in that she is the one that has top secret clearance already. Because I, I, obviously that would take a long time I, I to arrange like in this sort of kind of go by the way yeah, in the yeah. circumstances. Because how many of their soldiers have top secret military clearance? Oh, well, they're not, bad not to mention, congratulations, you've got this top secret job, you're going to stay in this damn camp and you don't have a phone anymore. If, if yeah. you try to leave, we're going to shoot you. We don't really care about your clearance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You work for the government now. And you, look, there are aliens. You're going to talk to the aliens. Clearance is really not... A bit. Everyone knows there are aliens. The entire world <laughs> knows there are aliens. Now, there is it... no... I don't want to delay you, shit. Did it have any recognition? Was it at least... Did it feel like linguistics to you, or was it just nonsense? Not really. Um, There were... It's a long time ago, so I don't want to nitpick too much because my recollection is hazy. I remember being exasperated. Um, It feels like... It felt like they weren't really making a serious effort to do linguistics on these aliens. Um, right. And there are also... I don't suppose you've got that quote 
you, you've got anywhere the, what the aliens say when there's the bomb. Because there's the bomb. There's the thing with the bomb. Which oh, I'm there's sure the bomb. Yes. And the aliens are trying to tell them, there's a bomb behind you, you should leave. Yes, uh, they say, uh, what, she looks at it and, uh, I can't remember. See, I watched this last night and I've forgotten, but that irritated <laughs> you, did it? Because the, what they say is extremely unhelpful and also seems actively hostile. And they say it with a few seconds to spare. Yeah. Um, and I, oh, I wish I could remember. I, I, um, oh, we <laughs> did a bit here, but, um, I, I know what you mean. Again, I, I'm surprised how little recollection I have. Yeah. Uh, be- because it's one of those things where the words that they use are, they really do not convince me as, the words that some aliens would have learned and use in this situation, but they wouldn't have simpler words that are more obvious that they would be able to use instead. I felt that as the translation went across, that they... I mean, they they have this incredibly complex circular language Mm. that they're just then suddenly just like, oh, this bit means the, and this bit means banana, and this bit... It just didn't ring true to me that that was the easy... that it was that simple to... I mean, we live on the same planet as Wales, mm. which have their own language, as far as we can tell. We, well, can we can't be begin... sure of that. So that's a good well, start. exactly. <laughs> so we couldn't even begin to translate that, but you get these six-fingered, five-fingered things that make a language and you can just, you can break it down that easily. I just, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Jim. Uh, but then pretty quickly, they're talking relatively complicatedly, um, and these are creatures that have no linear perception of time. Why are they sticking around when they know... Uh, one of them knows he's about to die, presumably, because a bomb's about to go off. Mm-hmm. I know I just kind of... Mm. So is that predetermined? It doesn't really... Anyway, yeah, all right. Oh, I think I found the script. Oh, OK. I'm uh, looking uh... through the script, trying to find the word bomb... It doesn't occur in the subtitles of the version I have. Curses. Uh, but anyway. Uh, off a weapon question mark is the closest I, I can find. Off a, that isn't what they say with the bomb though, is it? It's, uh, it's about then. It is around then, isn't it? But uh, that's when they're saying, what is your purpose? Uh, yeah, uh, just, just before they stop, you know, he wants me to write on the barrier. Then the, then the bomb goes off. Oh, right, okay. Uh, you weren't yeah. impressed. I mean, that's the, the summary, Jim. I was, I was not terribly impressed, no. Uh, I suspect similarly to the way I felt about gravity, you know, here is a film which is, which is claiming to be aimed squarely at people who know the stuff I know. And then it gets it comprehensively wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I don't know much. I, I mean, I've never uh, great language, but just that, mm, I don't know. It, it's so close to being 
Good. I mean, I like Jeremy Renner. I like Amy Adams. I think they're both really good in it. Um, I like Forrest Whitaker in it. Um, uh, it just feels very pseudo-scientific-y. And it almost degrades to a montage, the way they suddenly translate this. I, I Up to the point where they're suddenly like... Like when they spray the, oh, I, d- I, d- I, oh, no, I just thought of another bit there. So you see, Amy Adams is always right in this film. She's, she's <laughs> like, oh, they want me to take my helmet off. Mm. Oh, and, and luckily I don't immediately die from the atmosphere that they didn't realize I breathe. Um, cause I'm right. Uh, and oh, they want me to write this on a piece of, on an etch sketch or whatever it is, mm. and hold it in front of me. Oh, that's the right thing to do. And now they're going to talk to me. Oh, and they were, I just, everything she did was intuited right. Yeah. yeah uh, the, the feeling I had was just the whole thing fits together too neatly. Mm. And, you know, every, every plot element must link forward to a thing, link backward to a thing. It's all going to be neatly wrapped up. Well, yeah, I there think... are no dangling ends. I'm, yeah, I'm, all right, I'm, I'd be fair. Yes. I've complained about dangling ends too, but it, it feels <laughs> like it feels like a wrapped up, self contained story when it shouldn't be. Mm. It's too. I absolutely agree. My overall feeling was it was too neat. That whole Chang flash forward thing. I think I I would go back to the Sixth Sense. It feels a bit like a cinematic trick. The whole thing, and consequently, it doesn't feel realistic in any way. It just feels like this is how the plot happens, so we can bring this plot twist on you that actually their language makes you perceive time differently mm. but it's not really I think you're right Shim it's not really interested in exploring the consequences of that it just wants to kind of spring that on you ah you thought she was mourning a dead kid all along but no that's still to come for her it's, isn't that nice it's like it doesn't seem interested in actually addressing the consequences of non-linear time perception mm. but it's also not interested in language really like it mm. it it feels like someone yeah. who has encountered the idea of the sapir wharf hypothesis but it's not like they are trying to go okay so here is a film in which linguists do stuff and then there's this philosophical bit that we're going to kind of throw in there yeah so I, I don't really understand what it's trying to do, and to me, it feels too much like a my, my sort of personal bugbear of the generic literary fiction novel. Yes, mm. <laughs> it's a, it, it's just it feels like it's using the linguistic just as a tool mm. to spring this surprise on us that oh this can and yeah exactly so it's like yeah. I, I don't know the origins of the story, but I agree. It's like someone read the Sapir Wharf hypothesis and then thought, oh, well, if you That's can cool. remold yeah. your brain with language, what if you could make it do this? Yeah. There's some uh, cool concepts in there, but. It's an interesting idea, but it doesn't, it doesn't hold up script, which is why I'm. And I, th- I think in re- the reason I'm being very down on this film, because I enjoyed it beat to beat the first time. I just, by the end of it, I was like, what? <laughs> that doesn't, uh, I don't, um, and then watching it again, it's really ponderous and portentous. Oh, Shim, you my, must my, go. My home planet needs me. All right. Um, yeah, thank, I you, knew thank you for joining us. In 3,000 years, in you'll 30, join yeah, us in 30, again. In 30,000 years, I shall uh, ask you to appear on my podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Um, we'll probably be about as good as we are now in that sort of time. Uh, lovely joining you, Shim, to have us join you. I need some linguistic lessons. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to cut that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Ta-ra. Bye. Where was I was mid I feel like that our whole thing is full of rant here. I'm glad Shim felt similarly to us. I just <laughs> watching it again, I found it even more irritating because I didn't have any of the uh mystery or excitement. I knew the trick it was gonna pull. I've never watched The Sixth Sense again. I keep going back to that, but I think it's the film it feels most similar to me too, in that it just mm. feels like a big cinematic confidence trick that it suddenly pulls on you. Um, and it, it's all engineered, but it does it in such a po-faced, portentous, serious way. Jeremy Renner's the character who gets the kind of the one-liners, such as they are in this film, mm. and they're very welcome. It's it's interesting. I was I was looking through what else Amy Adams has done, and she's been you know she's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. I don't think I've seen any of it. Uh, I vaguely I I had certainly heard the name Amy Adams and knew she was mm. a famous actress. Um, and uh let me just remind myself what she what else she has been in. <laughs> um oh it's automatically uh gone Amy Adams arrival. Um uh I I do think she she's a very good actress. Um uh I I I mean both of them are very they're very good actors and, and it's good performances, but it's just they're not really interesting characters to me. And she's saddled with this. There's not much characterisation, really, in either of them, I think. No. I mean, she's the ultra... Because to be a successful scientist in Hollywood, you either have to be ultra-focused, dead serious, or incredibly eccentric. Um, Mm -hmm. And and they're the only two options, really. And so she's the ultra-focused, super... I mean, if she hasn't... If she hasn't been through that experience before the film, so why is she so bloody miserable all the time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, looking at the on, on the production side, um, we, we I think we have various examples of the way this could work. Um, sometimes, you know, the, the director comes along and says, "I really love this thing. I want to make a film of it." Yeah, um, but I think more often we get something like this. So this this is this starts with uh, Eric Heisserer. Um, Known for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Uh, Final Destination 5. That, there's a, there's a guarantee of quality right there. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, the, the, the thing, the, the one we decided not to cover. He wrote the script for that. Uh, but the he, sequel he, to The Thing, which was a prequel, which yeah. was also called The Thing. But, but he, he really got helpful. the uh, rights of the novella and then did this as a spec script and, he was shopping it around for quite a few years, and then after he made Ours, which is basically uh, keep the baby's ventilator powered up action film. Okay. <laughs> uh, people started taking him a bit more seriously, and that, that, then they then they looked at this script he was shopping around. Then, then Villeneuve had, had been, he, I think, probably known mostly for Sicario, which is a, I haven't seen it, but by all, all accounts, pretty good Um Central America, things are really quite bad. I, I've heard good film. things about it. Uh, um, yeah, and he he was looking around for a science fiction film to work, to work on, and, the, and the, this was was offered to him by the studio. But it, it's definitely one of those where where the production companies were getting the people together rather than a single directorial. It vision. was the work. Of, it's it because um, Villeneuve, I, the film I know him from is Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which is um, it's really good, genuinely. Um, okay. 
Uh, I've had some uh, very mixed opinions on that. Well, I, uh, it's visually stunning. It's just difficult to sort of credit that all to Villeneuve because, you know, a lot of, I always feel Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner is, uh, style over substance, but it is so bloody stylish that it Mm. almost doesn't matter. It's so good with that style. Um, and Blade Runner 2049 sort of, touch it, it doesn't quite get there but it touches it and of course he's done the Dune film which I haven't seen um, but everyone loves that, it's put me off it a bit having seen this um, and everyone seems to love this uh, to me, I just I I don't know quite what there is to love about it I don't know quite what I'm missing mm, really. I mean, it's nice to see a science fiction film that is nominally intellectual rather than about flashes and bangs but yes. as with Gravity uh, and that's what I'm, I'm keep going back to on this it's only very superficially thinky. Yeah. Um, we've had our thinky films that were, um, you know, primer. Um, mm. we keep going back to, uh, uh, Das Boat, um, as, uh, you know, uh, it's already thinky, but it's just these are people doing a job and we're going to show you realistically how you do this job and put them in peril doing it. I just, I don't know why that's so hard to do. <laughs> I, I will confess that one of the things that leapt out at me is one of those, once you notice it, you can't unnotice it, is just how much colour grading there is in this. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's a 2010s film, there's going to be a lot of it anyway, but it, it really pushes the mood for me. Yeah, you, As we've talked about with some, some soundtracks saying you're supposed to feel scared now, that we're yeah. definitely getting the, the, the colour tint. Uh, well, I think, I mean, it's, it's basically a grey, it's been put through a heavy grey filter, the whole <laughs> film, and uh, uh, I just, um, uh, I, I didn't mind it so much the first time, I, I think the second time I feel like it is really dialing up the tricks to, and then the constant slow shots of her being a happy parent, and then being a sad parent, and that, just, okay, well, when you've seen the film already and you know it's trick, that is less well, tolerable. Th- this is the thing in itself. I mean, if if I wanted to wax philosophical about this, then I'd say, well, we know as film watchers that this is a piece of linear fiction and however the film's going to end, it's going to end. So why do we feel any tension about it? Yeah, that, yeah that's uh, yeah, but that's an interesting point. Which, which you know, it, it's normally the accommodation you make to a piece of linear fiction. You know, I, I'm going to read this book and I'm not going to glance ahead to see what the end is, even though I know it is fixed. But when you start talking about predestination and this sort of absolute everything is fixed, I start to think, well, okay, so why should I care about what happens to anybody in the film? They're not getting it through their own efforts. They're just, it's, that's what it is. Well, I mean, the way to do predestination, interestingly, is the way, oh, Babylon 5 did it, which is to tell you flat out what's going to happen, but do it in a way that you're not expecting it to happen and make it look like there's no way it could happen. Oh, it has happened, but I never expected it would happen like that. Well, this doesn't do any of that, and most prophecy films and predestiny don't really. Oh dear, we've been very. Is there anything we liked about Arrival? Oh, well, visu- apart from the color grading thing, I actually mm. liked the visuals. Um, the the uh, DP is Bradford Young. Uh, who was actually for this film the, the first African American cinematographer to be nominated for an Academy Award? Yes, okay. Um, I he, I, I felt a fair bunch of stuff that has 
very positive. He, he's worked with Bigelow, he's worked with McQueen, Spike Johns. Well, I like the inside the ship and the the kind of the the alien, uh, and I like the the kind of gravity switcheroo that it did. Mm. Um, that's nicely done. Visually, the rest of it, I don't know, it did feel a bit borrowed to me from things like, you know, they're they're, mo- they're literally monolithic things, you know, and there is the elephant in the room. There is the monolith from two thousand and one. Mm. They're not visually similar, but they they share some. Uh, I feel like the filmic shorthand is supposed to be this is a serious science fiction film uh, like 2001 and so these are going to be big monolithic things mm. and I'm, um, I'm certainly I think if Close Encounters had looked different this film would also look different yes probably um, so would Independence Day <laughs> to be mm. fair I mean uh, well, this film's better than Independence Day I'm gonna, I will say that um, uh uh I found it a hard second watch. I not a hard first watch, but I was pissed off with it by the end of it. Um the first yeah. time. I I will admit there was there was a, a point at which I thought started losing my enthusiasm, which was when they started talking about a non zero sum game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there, there are posi- Rogers Game Theory Corner, there are positive sum and negative sum games. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't have to take non uh oh uh Oh dear. Um, all right. Well, and have we got anything else to say about? Well, that? that's the thing. I mean, I would say it, it's ninety-four percent positive on Rotten Tomatoes. All the pretty much all the critics loved it. You had trouble finding a review that wasn't laudatory. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're did it, we're how broken, did it do? obviously. <laughs> I I can only say. I mean, we come from a more. I don't know if it's an arrogant thing to say. We come from a more. Scientific background. Um, we come from, critics come from more artistic. Well, yeah. Well. Uh, I don't know. It, it it has that feel of it as like. Huh, I I think if people just respond to the this is a serious film and you should think about it seriously. Well, uh, uh, it didn't work for me anyway. Mm. The the centre, uh, much like Psycho. Uh, was it Psycho? Geography, no, no, psycho, the, the psycho history, the core concept just doesn't work for me. Um, but even if the Sapo Wharf thing, even if I accepted that, the film doesn't work on those terms for me. It doesn't make sense on those terms. So I think that's why it's a failure of science fiction. As human interest, I've seen a lot better films about bereavement, uh, of children, and it almost feels mm. like it's just using that as to tug your heartstrings. Uh, and I've seen a lot better films about people doing their scientific job well. So, yeah, yeah, no, not not for me. Oh, oh well. well, oh uh, well. Twenty sixteen in film. Yes. Uh, so at the Oscars, th- this did get one. It it got eight nominations, um, but it only won Bloody for sound up. editing. Sound editing. All right. <laughs> Which to me is is the classic. We grudgingly admit that this film has been a great success, <laughs> but it's not the sort of film that we, that we regard as a serious dramatic film. Therefore, therefore, it's not going to get the real votes. <laughs> there are many sound editors who would feel very differently about that, Roger. I'm sure, but frankly, anyone who isn't a sound editor, that is probably. I mean, for, for many years, any any successful science fiction film would would get one of those minors, rather yeah. than even though it had made all the money. Uh, 
in terms of actual uh, success at the Oscars, uh, six went to La La Land, including Best Director and Best Actress. Uh, Have you seen La La Land? Uh, it's one of the musicals of that year. Yeah, I have seen La La Land, and I will say I'd rather watch Arrival again than watch the rest of La La Land, because I gave up after 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, but that's just my cold, dead heart. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you knew you were going to get there eventually. Um, Moonlight got three. The other musical. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, uh, I'm not adverse to best... musicals, I just didn't like La La Land. Including picture of supporting actor and adapted screenplay. Uh, two for Hacksaw Ridge, the Mel Gibson war film. Yeah. Uh, two for Manchester by the Sea. Oh, didn't hear that one. Uh, very, very much drama, depression, guilt, grief, that kind of thing. Barrel Lovely. laughs, really. <laughs> I don't mind depressing films, but I, I do mind bad depressing films. And, uh, supporting actress went to Viola Davis in Fences. It's a period drama, uh, produced, directed by Denzel Washington. Considering this wasn't that long ago, I have very little memory of most of it. I, I think I'd largely stopped watching films by this point. Maybe Arrival was the one that triggered me to stop watching films. Possibly it is. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is you know, 1950s Pittsburgh. It sucks to be black. But yeah. also here is some drama going around that. Yeah, yeah fair okay, enough. Well. well, we can't say that too often, I suppose. But, yeah. <sighs> well, yeah, all right. Looking at the box office, um, there are up. some films here that aren't superheroes. Hey, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by the 20 teens box office so far, so let's uh, see if but, I'll continue to be. At 10 and 9, we've got Suicide Squad and Deadpool, which I, I think right. are both trying to be the funny superhero style film. Yeah, yeah. I Deadpool's all right. I don't hate it. I've never seen Suicide Squad. But. Uh, number seven, sorry, number eight, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. As okay. as in, we've run out of Harry Potter films, but we're going to keep making them anyway. <laughs> yes, they. we could make some more money regardless. Uh, number seven, Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, jeez. That made it into the top ten. Yeah. Bloody hell. Uh, number six, The Secret Life of Pets. Uh, that's how I've seen that a few times. They're, these animated films for kids, so you don't, you don't want much from them, and that's, it doesn't give you much, but it's alright. <laughs> uh, it's no Pixar. Yeah. Uh, number five, The Jungle Book, yet another of these Disney live action remakes that nobody seems to want, but. I don't know why they did. I, the Lion King, like, it's photorealistic animals. Doing the Lion King, so just—it's so weird. They thought, why would a, a photorealistic lion be in the Lion King? They're going to be cartoons. Don't do it. <laughs> well, I don't want to see Baloo actually looking like a fucking terrifying bear. For God's sake. <laughs> anyway, uh, n- number four, Zootopia, uh, which I, I've, oh. I've heard really quite positive things about. I the kids made me watch it the other day, and it's quite good. You had I no choice in the matter, obviously. I had no choice, but I did uh, genuinely uh, really quite enjoy it. And uh, num- at number three, Finding Dory, sequel to Finding Nemo, which I don't think made the top ten. Uh, that's really good, Finding Dory. I'm not going to say anything about that. Uh, number two, Rogue One. Uh, so I, was this the uh, first of the Star Wars side story films? I think it came out before Solo. Uh, it was, uh, Solo was the last one, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, Rogue, <laughs> one. <laughs> Rogue One was good. I, I did like Rogue One's take on the fact that these are actually, rebels are actually Terrorists from another perspective, um, 
which yeah, Andor, I think, has really doubled down on. The um, idea of doing a sort of war-slash-resistance-slash-whatever film just happens to be in the Star Wars universe. I, okay, I'm not particularly enthused by the Star Wars universe, but if you're going to make the things, you might at least make them a bit different from each other, so far. I it's a different... Ta- I don't think all Star Wars films should be like it, but I appreciate the different take, that if you're going to be a rebel and you're going to defeat the Empire, there's things you've got to do which you don't necessarily want to tell everyone in the propaganda. And at uh, number one, Captain America Civil War. Uh, yeah. That, but, actually, that, that's not... That, they are some genuinely good films in there. I'm not horrified by... Yeah, I mean, my my problem with the, with the superhero stuff is, ever since I stopped, I I um you know missed one or two and thought, okay, yeah. I'll watch these sometime when I'm in the mood. And now now there's you know ten or fifteen that I'll watch sometime when I'm in the mood. And and then I look at the list and think, no, that's too many, and I don't watch any of them. So. I think that is happening now to the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they are just collapsing under the weight of their own continuity. Um, it's a comic. No, if it has continuity, somebody's done something wrong. <laughs> the problem, I mean, the thing that all the films are going through happened to all the comics. Uh, it won't be that long before they do a Secret Wars or something. I think they are doing a Secret Wars or a Crisis on Infinite Earths to try and sort out all the problems. Uh, but comics did it all 50 years ago. Mm. Anyway. Oh, I apologise. Moonlight was not a musical. It was a, a serious coming of age drama. Oh, same thing. Really. I don't know how I'd got that impression, but it was just that that sort of year. <laughs> uh, I again, I'm not horrified by that box office. Um, there's a lot of good animated films. Um, the the what the film that makes me angry to be in there is the Superman Batman Dawn of Justice thing, which is mm. awful film. But there we go. Everyone else thought it was awful after they watched it, but that was when people thought they still had to watch DC films because it was important. <laughs> and uh, Arrival was Mary Ann's number one film of the year, and sometime we've got to have a chat about that because looking at her review, it feels as if she watched a completely different film. Oh, I shall have to have a read of it, but maybe it just hit her in the feels in a way that yeah. it didn't for us. But I. We're not totally anti that subplot. Gravity had very similar subplot. Yeah, and uh, in the wake of Gravity and Interstellar and The Martian, she she was starting to get a feel of you know, this is this is Hollywood autumn, intelligent grown up science fiction instead of shooty bang science fiction. Which fair well, enough. Well, yeah, or as I've heard it described, sad dad in space <laughs> genre, which is <laughs> another way of putting it. And that's very much Interstellar, and these are all similar sad parent science fiction. Uh, yeah, alright. Uh, we, we maybe respond less to it than, than to it. uh, Interstellar, I'd be interested to see what you thought about it. That is the epitome of sad dad in space. Um, uh, well, yeah, we'll come back to it at some point when we're in the mood. Yes, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Alright, well, that will round up episode 88 of Ribbon of Memes. Um, yeah, we're not trying to be contrary, but sometimes it just doesn't work for us. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a better episode when we hate a film. Yeah, I did hate it. We haven't even said whether it's a masterpiece or not, but it isn't. So let's, no. <laughs> let's, just, leave it at, let's just leave it at that. All right, we will be back with uh, another 2018 film. It's not 2018, damn my perception of reality. We, we'll be back with a film at some point. We're, correct. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.